how many in the last two weeks, in the last two weeks, you have received some type of credit card offer? Okay, raise your hand if you see it. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up. You received a credit card offer in the last two weeks. All right, we have received multiple credit card offers, and it seems like uh, if you don't get any other mail, at least you get that, right? And there's always a bonus. There's always, you know, uh, 10 reasons why you should uh, get their credit card and uh, invitations to partner, you know, with these credit card companies. Now, there's a few credit cards that I doubt you got an invitation for in the last two weeks. And so let's uh, show the first one here. Um, Anybody get the American Express, uh, the Centurion card from American Express? Centurion card. Joan says he did. All right. Uh, Centurion card from American Express. The annual fee is only $5,000. All right. Annual fee is only $5,000. You get complimentary elevation to elite status levels at several of the world's most important hospitality brands, including Hilton, Marriott, uh, and others. Complimentary Delta Sky Miles, platinum medallion status. Uh, that includes, you know, priority waitlisting, priority check-in boarding. You can enjoy access to the Global Lounge Collection. Now, I don't get any commission off of these, and in fact, these are by invitation only. So they don't just send mass uh, invites out for this. This is a very elite credit card. Let's go to the next one. How about the J.P. Morgan Reserve Credit Card? J.P. Morgan Reserve Credit Card. Anybody? Well, you must be a J.P. Morgan private bank member with more than $10 million in assets to get an invitation for this card. So if you did get an invitation, let me know afterwards, uh, we'll, and we'll go to lunch, right? Uh, so J.P. Morgan private bank member, $10 million in assets. You can receive up to $300 in statement credits, includes a priority pass, uh, select membership, and a one-year complimentary subscription of Dash Pass subscriptions, meaning... You can order DoorDash and always get free restaurant deliveries uh, for the rest of the year. You just need to have $10 million in the bank. That's it. But, I mean, what a, what a, uh, what a benefit. Okay, how about, this is the last one we'll look at this morning. The next one is the Dubai First Royale. There it is, Dubai First Royale. This is not just a fancy-looking credit card. I mean, this is a valuable card itself. In the middle, that is actually a diamond, okay? That's actually a diamond in the middle. Around the edge is actually gold-plated. So you, you don't just leave this card laying around anywhere. I mean, the card itself is worth a lot of money. There's only 200 of these that have been issued. This is primarily uh, for the, the, the royal family um, of, let's see... Make sure I'm saying this. Yep, there's only including the Dubai and Saudi royal family and the uber wealthy uh, individuals of the Middle East, but only 200 of them. Uh, there's zero credit limits, meaning you can buy whatever your heart wishes with that credit card. The most expensive piece of artwork, a yacht, whatever you want to buy, there's no credit limit. That's the card for you if you are part of the royal family of Dubai and uh, Saudi Arabia. So, Anyway, I doubt any of us will ever see these offers come in the mail. But as we look in, in Philippians chapter 4, every single believer is invited and encouraged and challenged and even enabled to enter into gospel partnerships. We, might, we may not get the elite card members. We may never have a card in our wallet that has a diamond and gold plated around the edge. Uh, but we are invited to an even more significant partnership and relationship uh, of even investing 
in gospel work. And we see that in Philippians chapter 4. Last week we looked at the uh, commitment to intercede, to pray. It's not just important, but it is essential. We also looked at the commitment to interact. And today we're going to begin to look at the commitment to invest. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4, then verses 15 and 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. A couple questions I want to ask here is, who can get involved in this? Well, we're first going to look at the passage and see who did get involved in this partnership between the Philippian church, uh, even included several of the Macedonian churches like Thessalonica and Berea, uh, but also uh, who else? Who got involved in this gospel partnership with Paul? As you go back to Acts 16, we're not going to read the passage, but the Philippian church was actually begun uh, after the Macedonian call. You may remember that. Uh, Paul saw a vision. There was a man you know, saying, come over and help us. Paul and his team went to Macedonia. One of the first groups of people they found was uh, Lydia, along with some other ladies. They were God-fearing, but they didn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So Paul uh, began to, to witness and to share the gospel. Uh, the word makes it very clear, God's word makes it clear, that uh, God moved in the heart of Lydia to receive the word, and then she and her whole household were baptized. Then Lydia says, basically said something like this. If you really believe that this has happened to me, I want you to come and spend time at my house. I mean, what Paul's, what's Paul going to say to that? Well, you know, what are you serving? What's the menu? <laughs> no, he said, all right. And so they went, and already Lydia, from the very beginning of accepting Christ as her Savior, she begins to enter into gospel partnership. Paul has given God's word to her. Now she and her family are opening their home to him and his team and serving, obviously uh, giving uh, meals, but serving uh, part of their time. And there's this giving and receiving that's already taking place. Next in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas, they're arrested, they're taken to prison. God, in a miraculous way, through an earthquake, uh, frees all of the, the prisoners, so much so that the Philippian jailer almost kills himself because he, he's sure that all the prisoners are going to escape. But then Paul says, wait, 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 we're all here. And it moved him to such a point, and obviously God was working in his heart, and the Philippian jailer says, listen, you know, what must I do to be saved? And so Paul, again, begins to share the gospel, and the Philippian jailer accepted Christ as his Savior, and his household did as well. And now, not only do they serve food, but they, they bring Paul and Silas in, and they begin to treat their wounds and cleanse them, and then give them food as well. And once again, there's the giving and receiving. Paul shared the gospel, and it really kept him from taking his own life. And the Philippian jailer now, instead of being the, the jailer that keeps him captive, opens his own home and says, come and, and be with us, spend time with us. Once they were released from prison, Paul and Silas were invited once again by none other than Lydia. She wasn't embarrassed. She wasn't uh, uh, afraid of what you know, the officials would do when they found out, goodness, the people that we just uh, released from prison, they've gone into Lydia's household, so we need to keep an eye on her. She was ready once again and jumped at the chance, come and spend time with us. And it's interesting, in Acts 16, 40, 
the, the word says this, and you see again the fellowship or the partnership of the giving and receiving that happens when Paul and Silas and their team are in Lydia's house once again. It says this, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So you see both Lydia opening their, her house to them and, and encouraging them and, and helping them. But while they're there, Paul and Silas and the team, they're with their brothers and sisters in Christ and they encouraged them. They were the ones that were just let out of prison, but God used them to encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul refers to this as he's talking in Philippians. He said, from the beginning of the gospel or, or most likely, in other words, he's saying, back when, you know, in Acts 16, and back when the Philippian church was just beginning with brand new converts, already your church family was involved in this fellowship and partnership in the gospel with me. There's a lady in Brazil that will always hold a special place in our heart. Her name is Conceição, which means conception. And uh, there's, there's a lot of interesting names in Brazil based from their Catholic history. A lot of times people will be named after different things uh, within the Catholic religion. And so her name uh, was Conception or Conceição. And as we were first in Brazil and learning the language, uh, we were lost. I mean, we could not communicate. Uh, we felt almost as if we had lost our personality to a certain extent because as people would laugh at things, we would try to pick up on their cues and have really no, have no idea what they were laughing at, but felt like, okay, maybe we should laugh too. So it was like, <laughs> you know, and then they would stop and like, okay, we better stop laughing. In, in the service, you know, here I am, a, a pastor, I'm a, I'm a missionary, I've moved to Brazil, but in the service, um, all I was hearing for many months was, and I would begin to doze off in the back because it was just a, a monotonous uh, noise to me. But Conceição, even though we didn't really have a whole lot to offer in, in relationship and friendship to her, many Sundays, Sunday after Sunday, we would stay out. We, we lived about an hour away the first year because we were in language school in downtown Sao Paulo. And then we would go out on Sunday morning, stay out all day with Sunday morning services, activities in the afternoon, and then a Sunday evening service. But Conceição would often open up her home. We would go and we would spend the afternoon and she would cook for us and uh, we would do the best we could. Sometimes our coworkers could go with us and translate and so then there was some conversation, but other times that wasn't possible. So we would, you know, do little gestures and color things and they would laugh and we would laugh and then pray, you know, God help us. But for so many Sundays, she opened up their home. Now, Del C was an unbeliever, but very hospitable. He never complained that they were spending money on having missionaries come in and uh, lay on their couch and, and rest for the afternoon and eat their meals. He, he was very hospitable, although he didn't know Christ. But as we begin to talk more, and, and often our coworkers, even in those beginning weeks and months, would talk about Christ and would show the love of Christ to Del C. And we prayed faithfully, God help Del C to accept Christ as his personal Savior. Their children were in the youth group. And in time, as we began to get a little grasp of the language, we began to help with the youth group and do teen activities and investing in their children. But still, Del C was unsaved. Just about a month ago, I got a, a WhatsApp message from 
the Brazilian national pastor who eventually took over that church in Kokaya. And he's been a huge encouragement for this last year. Almost every day, he'll send me a message and and he'll say something like, hey, got up early this morning and prayed for you and your ministry. (laughs) Wow. But this particular morning, he sent a picture of himself and Del C. And said, this morning, Del C and I both prayed for you and your ministry. Now, we've known for a time that Del C accepted Christ as his Savior, but it was a, a powerful reminder that for, for many, many weeks and months, Conceição would open her home and was, was giving to us. And in the same way, we were trying to give back and share the gospel and show Del C, hey, we love you. We want to be your friend. Christ loves you. And then now to see the blessing that Del C is giving back once again to us and from 4,000 miles away is praying for you. It's praying for One Hope Church. It's praying for our family. That's part of the fellowship and the partnership in the gospel. We see also in Philippians 4 and verse 15 that sometimes this partnership will come from unlikely people. It'll come from unlikely sources. For Paul says this, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. In Corinthians Paul talks about some of the brothers coming from Macedonia, of which Philippi was part, and said in 2 Corinthians eleven nine, when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Now, why is this surprising? Philippian, the, the church of Philippi is still a relatively new church. But yet Paul says, even when other churches did not enter into partnership with me in the giving and receiving, and this, this relationship that, that I've already been describing this morning, when no other church entered into this relationship, Church of Philippi, you did. It wasn't the church at Jerusalem, where for a while many of the disciples seemed to kind of, you know, huddle there and, and minister there, and it was a strong church. It wasn't the church at Antioch where uh, Christians were called Christians first at Antioch, but it was the church at Philippi. I found this encouraging for One Hope Church. We, we may not have the, huge, the, the biggest outreach budget. I'm, I know we don't in Metro Atlanta, but may God use us as we can to partner with local outreach uh, events and activities and organizations, but also global uh, families and individuals to say, we want to advance the gospel of Christ through this church family. That's what the church of Philippi did. Philippians 4, 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So again, we see that the Philippian church is ready Now, what does this mean to us? You say, that's interesting. I want to think about how is this supposed to be done? That's the next question. How is this supposed to be done? We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8, one of Paul's other letters to a Corinthian church. Uh, But the Philippians are involved in a giving campaign uh, together with uh, the church at uh, Thessalonica and Berea. And uh, we we want to see what kind of attitudes do do they express. The right attitudes that we see in 2 Corinthians 8... Let's read verses 1 through 5 of 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, 
their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Okay, so for the next few minutes, we're going to dissect that passage and pull out some attitudes that they expressed, the believers of, in that area of Macedonia, but also the attitudes that we should express as we enter into this gospel partnership and investing in eternal things. First of all, yielded. Yielded. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church and uses these three churches of Macedonia, Philippi being one of them, as notice how the grace of God is working and at work in their lives. And these believers were yielded that God would work through them and they were a channel of blessing and they were a channel of service to the church's around them. The way that the Macedonian church, churches gave really was only possible because of the grace of God at work in their life. If it hadn't been for the grace of God, humanly speaking, they would have had many, many reasons to say, God, we feel so badly, but we just can't help right now. But God enabled them by his grace to give in a phenomenal way, and we'll see this even in the verses to come. Secondly, resilient 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. That doesn't sound like a description of a group of people that should be ready to give a lot. But yet they were a resilient, they had a resilient attitude of, if God has called us to do this and given us an attitude, help us to persevere. Friday morning, Kim and I had the opportunity to come and sit in the gym here at Northwest Classical Academy, and there was an award ceremony, the end of the year award ceremony. And they gave out uh, sportsmanship awards, they gave out uh, um, educational awards, but they also then gave out virtue awards. And there's about seven different virtues that the school tries to emphasize, and one of them is perseverance. They gave out for, from K-5 up to 8th grade, each student, one student from each grade was awarded a perseverance award. And the teachers and students had a part in, in voting on what students have really persevered. And as humans, we often admire those that have uh, extreme difficulties. Maybe it's a physical disability, but yet when we see that they persevere and they don't give up, it inspires us and motivates us to think, well, goodness, if that person can do that, then maybe I can too. Maybe it's extreme financial hardship, but yet a person continues to, to persevere and push through. Perhaps it's just some educational difficulties, and, but yet it's those that we know that continue through and they push on. As humans, we applaud the perseverance. And that is exactly the attitude that Paul's saying, this is what the Macedonian church has displayed, and this is a part of gospel partnership being resilient. Thirdly, generous, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 2 and 3. says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty 
have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, but then notice, as I can testify, and beyond their means. Now this is very countercultural. Those that may have a lot of money, yes, I mean, yeah, they give towards charitable things and there's different motivations. Sometimes it, it seems to be pure motivations. Other times it's for political reasons or for status or for some type of favor. It's countercultural, though, for somebody that has been through a severe test of affliction, doesn't have a whole lot of funds, but then just to give beyond their means, to be very generous. The test of generosity, some, this was an anonymous statement, but the test of generosity is not how much you give, but how much you have left. And that's really what Jesus was teaching when he watched those who gave, and then the widow came in, came by and just put in two pence. Others maybe had given so much more, but Jesus pointed her out and said, look what she gave. Look at her example. It's interesting and helpful to consider how generous God has been to you and how generous God has been to me, and this will help us to respond with a generous attitude. His immeasurable love, Paul talks about, his abundant forgiveness. Romans 5.20 says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So an unlimited amount of grace. The mercy that he shows us. So as you and I embrace this generous attitude, really we're celebrating, first of all, God's generosity to us. And then we recognize and we're embracing contentment that Paul's already talked about in Philippians 4 earlier. And then now saying, I want to give back. I mean, what I give back, God's already given to me, and I want to be generous just as God has been generous to me. But fourthly, not only generous, but be to, to be genuine. Genuine. 2 Corinthians 8, 3, for they gave of their own accord. This wasn't to gain a higher standing within the church at Philippi. This wasn't to, to have a plaque put on in, you know, in the, the building of the Jerusalem church. Such and such a brother and sister gave so much money in this giving campaign when our Jerusalem church was in trouble. We're going to put a plaque on the wall. It wasn't for that. This wasn't to manipulate Paul even to say, well, listen, Paul, you, you encouraged us to give and we gave. So now you need to and fill in the blank. This wasn't to manipulate anybody they gave of their own accord they wanted to give you'll see in growth groups today even uh, in second corinthians 9 the very next chapter uh, even more evidence that this was something that they wanted to do and then notice how they did it joyful second corinthians 8 2 their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part and then in verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's, that's interesting. Begging us. How often do we see that? How often do we experience that? That we say, can, can I give? Normally it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not sure. They said, no, they were begging earnestly. They wanted, they were joyful in this process. During our 23 years as, as church planners, we have been the recipients, really, in countless ways 
of individuals who've shown generosity to us, and not just financially, but with their time and with their talents, of many, many churches who have shown generosity to us. And we've been greatly blessed, and it's encouraged us, and, and it's, it's, it's motivated us to be reminded of God's provision. But there's an experience that I remember as a young boy that really sticks out not of receiving, but of the opportunity that I had as a, as a young kid. Now, this was, this was probably abnormal. I don't think I was like this all the time, but this opportunity I had to, to give as a young kid, and I remember being so excited about that. I was born in Albany, Georgia. Dad and our family um, were involved, even before I was born, were involved in planning a church in Albany, Georgia. In fact, that's where we first met Clay and Sue Huey. But it was common back then to sell bonds, to to fund construction, to purchase land and to build buildings. It was common for churches to sell bond notes uh, to be able to have the the capital to then buy the land, build the building, and then they would pay those bond notes with interest um, off in time. And and Circle Baptist Church, a church that uh, they, you know, our family was involved in starting, had done just that. But we were getting towards the end. I was already born and I was old enough to remember this. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was old enough for sure to remember and I can still remember to this day. There, there was planned a I gave it all Sunday. I gave it all Sunday. And it was advertised and the, the goal was that what, what would come in, the goal would be is that it would pay off the rest of the bond notes for the church and the church would become debt free. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, I've, I've done some odd jobs around the house, and um, we sold greeting cards. We went door to door sometimes and even sold greeting cards. I'm not sure who had that idea. I know it was mom's idea, but where she got that from, here, boys, go door to door and sell greeting cards. Okay, mom. <laughs> so we sold greeting cards. We sold one-pound bags of pecans sometimes. There was a, a family in our church that were, uh, they had a pecan farm, and so, or a pecan grove, and so we sold pecans and, and made some extra money off of those things. And so I had saved about a hundred something dollars. And for a young boy back in the early 1980s, that was a lot of money, I felt. You could get a brand new bicycle with that. You could, you know, get a couple of pellet guns probably and do some things. So I had this money saved up. But when the I gave it all Sunday came, was getting close. I heard dad and mom talking about it. I heard my older brothers talking about it and different families I thought, I want to give everything I have. So I told dad and mom, I'm, I want to give it all. They're like, you sure, son? They knew me well. They knew that, you know, they didn't want me to come back a week later and go, you know that money I gave? Can I have half of it back? So no, I want to give it all. And they said, you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. This is what I want to do. And they allowed me and I, I, I gave it all on that Sunday. And then after the service, there was a bond, B-O-N-D, fire. And so all of us were given these symbolic pieces of paper to throw bond notes into the bond, B-O-N-D, fire, to celebrate the church is debt-free and we've, we've given it all and God is blessed and we're debt-free and we can move on and do even greater things in the city for the glory of Christ. And I remember the joy that I experienced. I remember to this day, I can see it in my head, the bonfire and the people you know, gathered around 
And knowing that, um, to me, I had given a lot. Now, compared to the rest of the church, it wasn't much, 100 bucks. I mean, what's that going to do? It's not even going to buy a water fountain. But it was, it was something. It was all that I had. And I remember the joy in giving that. That's what the Philippian believers did. And that's what God wants us to do is we're involved in gospel partnerships. Lord, what would you have me to give? And how can I give that? Can I be joyful about that? May we give in a joyful way, but then lastly, <clears throat> give in sacrificial, with a sacrificial attitude. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, by the will of God, to us. You know, if you and I, if, if we are holding back areas of our life, and we may, we may give some things to God, but if we haven't given everything to God, then it'll be much more difficult to give our wallet, to give our checking account, to give our time, to give our talents. But yet, on the other hand, if we are trying to live as best as we can a, a yielded life, and we're, we're saying to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, lead us and guide me and help me to express the fruit of the Spirit and help me to live guided by and full of the Holy Spirit. If we do that, then it'll be so much more natural and normal for us to say, yeah, God's given this to me. I want to give it back. I'm very ready to give in a sacrificial way. As I was studying for, for this message, one commentator I thought made an interesting connection how earlier in this book, Paul had several desires and, and expressed several wishes for the Philippian church. One was, is, is found in Philippians 1.11, and it says, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, part of this fruit of righteousness is to be involved in a gospel partnership in this way, to be resilient, to be sacrificial, to be joyful, to want to participate. That's part of the fruit of the righteousness that Paul talked about. Also in Philippians chapter one, Paul expressed another goal uh, that he wanted the Philippians to have more progress and joy in the faith. Philippians 1.25. Well, their gospel partnership with him was certainly showing, yes, there's, there's progress and there is joy in the faith. So we need to give with these attitudes but then I want to bring this home a little bit more in modern day. We need to give with much creativity. We need to give with much creativity. We've already seen how this gospel partnership back then involved Lydia and her household and opening up a home and making a meal. The Philippian jailer and even cleansing wounds and again offering another meal and letting them spend time in his home. Lydia once again um, Epaphroditus, it says, was the one who brought the gifts from the Philippians to Paul. Paul talks to Timothy at one point and he, he tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, would you come and, and please come before winter if you can and bring my coat and bring a book and bring John Mark with you. And he even goes on to say, you know, there was at my first defense, I was deserted. There was nobody else except Luke with me. Um, but, but come and be with me. So we see that he wanted Timothy and John Mark and others just to spend time with him, just to be with him. So already we've seen creativity. 
and how people gave and how people partnered in this gospel partnership. Our former coworker who many of you prayed with us about this time last year as his wife had recently been diagnosed with brain cancer. It's been just a little over a year since she passed away. And we began to pray for Nathan and Diane Frey. And um, Diane did not have a, a long battle before she was united uh, in heaven with her daughter that preceded her, Lydia. But for Nathan, you can imagine that was, that was a very difficult experience to lose his wife and really within just a few weeks very very little time to prepare for that in brazil things happen fast there's no embalming so usually it's the it's within 24 hours that the burial happens so not many people even outside of the country can get there in time for the celebration of life But a young man by the name of Wagner who Nathan and Diane spent many years investing in his life and mentoring him and uh, oftentimes his mom would would be out of of the house all week long. Unfortunately, she was not a responsible lady and sometimes they would be kicked out of their homes while their mom was away. And Nathan and Diane helped Wagner much during this process. He's become a responsible young man. He eventually moved here to the States. He, he married a girl that he actually met on a mission trip uh, there in Brazil, and they live in Greenville, South Carolina. Well, Wagner, he wanted to go, and so he immediately got a flight and went to Brazil just to be with Nathan. He didn't make it in time to see Diane. But as we visited a few weeks later, after Diane passed away, Nathan made a comment and said, you know, you know how much it meant to me? as I had to go around to the government offices, and as I had to document Diane's death, do you know how much it meant to me just to have Wagner just sitting on a, on a chair, just with me? Do you know how much that meant? I said, Nathan, I can only imagine. Wagner didn't give a, a lot of money, but the most important gift in that, in that period was, hey, Nathan, I'm here. Wherever you need to go, I'm gonna go with you. I'll be with you. I'm just going to go. I'll sit with you. You don't have to talk. I'm just going to be here. And Nathan said, that meant a lot. It's part of gospel partnership. There's been so many, I, I, we are amazed often as we look back and see how many people God has used in creative ways to encourage us, to bless us. Dr. Mixon, a dentist in middle Georgia, cleaned our family's teeth for many, many years as we would come back on furlough. He was a Christian. We talked about our faith. We talked about the ministry on those, you know, uh, sometimes every other year visits as we were able to go back, and he'd say, come in, I want to clean your family's teeth. Dr. Melcher, an eye doctor in Wisconsin, whenever we could come through and visit one of our partnering churches in Wisconsin, said, hey, make sure you save some time. I want to come in. And any of you that need contacts or glasses, come in, and I want to, I want to check your eyes. Thank you. When an orthopedic surgeon that did Mary's elbow surgery for free. We had professional puppet makers one time in Alabama say, we want, to, we want you to come to our puppet making shop and pick out puppets for your ministry. It was really interesting. It's like they made these wax face puppets. It was almost spooky as we walked in. You see all these heads, you know, (laughs) sticking around. I don't want to be there in the dark. But they're really neat puppets. That was how they blessed. And that's how they partnered in the gospel. Sandy Clark 
has sent us hundreds of notes and, and cards through probably the last two decades. She's going to have rewards in heaven for just being a faithful communicator. The Showalter family, whenever a, a, a card would come in and would have the Showalter name on it, our kids knew, this is a birthday card from the Showalters. An older couple now, Mr. Showalter's in heaven, but Mrs. Showalter continued that for many years. And what would they do? They would send a birthday card and inside of it, a $2 bill. $2 bill's not gonna buy a whole lot, but it meant a lot to our kids to receive a birthday card and a special $2 bill. Even as they got older, they, some, as they got older, the Showalters would still send a card, but they wouldn't send a $2 bill. And it was funny to, to hear our older girls go, oh man, this is the year. I don't get any more $2 bills. But there is a special relationship with the Showalter family. Some of you may remember that we helped the Moore family as a church. There are missionaries in Costa Rica. And I just read an update from the Moore family there in Costa Rica. And they had a group of Christian firemen come down to Costa Rica. And as they were there in the country, they offered some specialty training to the local firemen of that region. And in that, we're able to share the gospel and say, hey, we care about you. We're firemen. This is what we know. This is what God, the, the talent God's given us. Let us come in and offer some free training to you as firemen. It is so neat to me to see how God, every one of you has special things and abilities and talents and hobbies that God can use you in a creative way to be in gospel partnerships. And I hope that just some of these things will whet your appetite to think, God, how can I be used? How can I use and, and leverage everything that you've given me and how you've formed me and shaped me of who I am to leverage for the gospel? We've had pilots, mechanics, pastors, CPAs, firemen, UPS truck drivers, electricians, teachers, welders, cabinet makers, uh, military personnel, concert pianists, commercial real estate investors, um, and, and so many more people that have helped us lay tile, put on concerts, do children's ministries, set up chairs, provide meals for ISF, like the Lebanon Growth Group. There's all kinds of ways. Maybe you're in a position, you say, well, I don't have a whole lot of money to give, but what else do you have to give? God's given you something. And give, maybe give a little money and then give a lot of whatever else God has, has equipped you with and the talents and the passion to partner in the gospel for his glory. So the question this morning I end is, how will you get involved. How are you going to leverage these different areas? And I pray that as you do that, you'll understand this is the beauty of giving with a joyful attitude, generous, genuine. And in that sense, it may not be Paul, it's not going to be, he's already in heaven, but others across Metro Atlanta, others across the world may be able to look back and say, Hey, I'm thankful and put your name. I'm thankful that, that you and you and I'm thankful that One Hope Church from the beginning of the gospel until now has partnered in the gospel with me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray this morning?